<clears throat> so, making our way through the book of Acts. Uh, this morning we're in Acts uh, chapter 9. And um, this is one of those passages that if you, if you know a little bit about the New Testament, you, somewhere you've got to meet this guy who we know as Paul. And, uh, and so this is Luke's introduction for us. Um, in the passage, he's Saul. So just hang with me on that. And if I, if I use that interchangeably, you, you understand why. But I'll try to use Saul because that's who he is at this point in the passage. Um, you know, we've had a, we had a conversion last week. We had the Ethiopian eunuch. And um, we talked about how Luke zeroed in on this gentleman and how unlikely uh, um, a conversion he was. Um, a Nubian from down in Ethiopia, uh, very wealthy. A eunuch, um, having been denied access uh, for his uh, whatever period of his life he had sought to worship God at the temple. And, um, and the Lord converted him on that desert road. And so we saw that last week. This week we have another unlikely convert, um, albeit completely different and for much different reasons. I don't know what you think about when you think of conversions, right? Um, You know, used to when I thought of conversions, I thought, you know, guys like Alice Cooper. I mean, that that's a conversion, all right? Shock rock guy who ends up coming to know the Lord and then plays golf with R.C. Sproul, okay? Uh, I mean, you know, this is a guy that did all, you know, you all know who Alice Cooper is, right? Okay, sorry. Uh, guys like that, you know, and that's always, the, you know, oh, that, now that guy was converted, you know. That guy had a had a conversion. But then there are just, you know, regular Joes, nice people, like, do they? I mean, do, do they need converting? Are, are they in that same ballpark? I mean, is a conversion of, you know, say, Billy Graham, okay, somebody who's probably a good guy and then came to know the Lord. I think he was fairly young. But, I, I mean, you know, it's that, like genuine or real conversion. Was it really needed? I mean, pretty decent guy, right? Um, Alice Cooper, we get. Billy Graham, What's the need? And this morning when we come to this guy named Saul, I think you're going to see he fits a little bit more into this kind of Billy Graham category. What what was the real necessity? What what was the issue for this guy? And um, and so I want us to kind of look at his story, and we're going to do it under the the title of the sermon is Seeing Straight, which I hope you know, get a little play there, but... We're going to talk about, uh, first, Saul's erroneous passion against Jesus. And then we'll talk about Saul's stirring introduction to Jesus. And finally, we'll talk about Saul's colossal change towards Jesus. So let's talk about who Paul is to begin with. Who is this guy that we know as Saul? Well, he was a Jewish man from a devout Jewish family. Um, but he was also a Roman citizen, okay? Um, he actually tells us a fair bit about who he was and, and, and puts it in terms uh, to show us how impressive he 
felt himself to be at the beginning of Philippians chapter 3. And here's the way he describes himself. Circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, he said. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, Paul says, I was faultless. Now, in Philippians 3, that is, that is Saul's, Paul's assessment of himself, right? All of those things. Now, those things don't mean a whole lot to us. Those aren't categories we regularly deal in. We, you know, but for Paul, that was a pretty substantial list of credentials, okay? And what he's simply saying is, I was a very devout Jew. I am a Jewish man of the tribe of Benjamin. I have all of these, you know, my lineage is pure and good. With respect to the law, I am a law keeper. Now, as he describes himself that way, um, uh, we can also think about a, another aspect of who he was, right? So he's this Jewish man, but he's a Roman citizen. So here's where the name thing comes in. So as a Jewish man, his name is Saul. There was another Saul in the Bible who just happened to be, oh, by the way, from the tribe of Benjamin. So probably no surprise here, a very Jewish family, devout family, they're of the tribe of Benjamin, they named their son Saul, okay? So there's this connection there on the Jewish side. But he was a Roman citizen, and so he also had a Latin name, and that Latin name was Paul. Um, no, Jesus didn't change his name. This isn't an incident where uh, he meets the Lord and the Lord changes his name. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about the name change, which shows up in Acts chapter 13 in a, in a few minutes. But just kind of understand that's that's the dynamic here. So Jewish man, uh, uh, you know, and, and Roman citizen, and those two are, are kind of colliding in his life. Not uncommon for someone from that kind of a background to have had two names. Um, so where's he from? He's from Tarsus which is uh, down in the southeastern part of modern-day Turkey. Okay, it would have been Asia Minor uh, then. Um, I've actually driven this stretch of road. It, it runs from Adana down to Mersin, which is really on the coast. Um, Tarsus was probably centered a little bit further south than it is today. And if you drove there today, um, it, it, it's a large area in terms of population, but it's they're spread out. Uh, but in Paul's day, Tarsus was a very significant place. Um, it was a, a major uh, geographical center for trade. Um, lots of stuff happened there. In 325 B.C., so 300 years prior uh, plus to Paul's being born. Paul was probably born between uh, 5 B.C. and 5 A.D., somewhere in that little time frame. Um, 
So 300 plus years before, uh, 325 BC, Alexander the Great, uh, around the time of his passing, uh, Tarsus was well known and, uh, was a major city in Asia Minor. It, um, it was most probably well known for the fact that it was a center of learning, had a very large university. All of that still intact by the time the Apostle Paul comes along. And so early in his life, he was born and raised in a, in a prosperous place, a place that had great learning. So he grew up, um, in his early years, he would have been very educated. And we, we see that in the way that Paul, as we work, work our way through his journeys, the way that he interacts with culture, Paul gets it. He understands it. Um, now, the last aspect that I want to cover is who did he run with? Um, who were his uh, contemporaries, his mentors? And, um, and we know from the Bible that uh, the primary person that had influence in his life was Gamaliel. Um, from this man uh, in Jerusalem. So at some point in Paul's early upbringing, his parents ship him off to boarding school in Jerusalem where he studies with Gamaliel. And here is where he really picks up his uh, philosophy, his, under, his world and life view. He's also instructed heavily in Jewish uh, customs and doctrine. All of that comes into play to make the Apostle Paul kind of this uh, significant figure that he, he, he becomes. Um, he's no doubt a very sophisticated man. Um, he had a devout adherence, obviously, to the Old Testament scriptures. You know, I think when you think about Paul and what we already know from chapter 8, where he's standing there approving of the stoning of Stephen, and now he's going after Christians, we have some like image in our head that this is a renegade. This is some guy that's just out there riding solo on his own. That's not the image. The image is a very devout individual who saw, okay, the early Christian church as a threat to what he believed to be orthodox teaching about God, okay? So uh, that's Paul's kind of situational setup is that he he sees what's happening as this Jesus figure who claimed to be God and and all of that. That's blasphemy to him. Um, and so he's following through on who he is. He he's not just, you know, this isn't the Wild West and you know Paul taking matters into his own hands. Even as he travels uh, from Jerusalem to to the, uh, Damascus, which is where we're at here in the story, he's traveling with the um, with the with the blessing of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. I mean, he is going to do the bidding of these religious leaders and and to find these Christians and bring them back and hold them accountable for their blasphemy against what he saw as the one true religion. So. Kind of dispose yourself of this notion that Paul's just, you know, he's, you know, it's the Wild West. He's a, it's very straightforward. He is only, uh, following through on deeply, deeply held beliefs. So that's, that's who this Paul figure is. Um, let's talk about, or Saul. I said I was going to use Saul and here I am. Yeah, you get, um, so let's look at this introduction. 
So here he is, a devout Pharisee. Now, when you hear Pharisee, okay, your mind scampers down the trail of, oh, those Pharisees, you know, we use that in a, as a, in a derogatory way. Um, it is, you know, in Paul, Saul's time, this is not, being a Pharisee is not a derogatory thing. Uh, he is a fine, upstanding individual living according to the law. And I've said this time and time again. I mean, this is the guy you want as your neighbor, right? I mean, he follows all the codes. He never breaks the speed limit. Um, he's doing it all by the book. If, if you know, the, the local ordinances that you have to have your trash can up by 5 o'clock, he's got it up by 3 o'clock, right? He mows his yard to the right height. He puts out pine straw the right two times a year. He does it all. This guy is, no kidding, a a genuine good guy. So, again, don't let that Pharisee thing kind of, you know, jade you about who he was. Um, So here he is, this devout Pharisee. He has papers that will allow him to bring these Jewish believers uh, back from the, uh, Damascus to Jerusalem. So he's on the road, and on the road, the Lord appears to him. And there are a couple of things here that I want you to see. The first is um, his introduction. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul's response, okay, uh, <laughs> as he falls to the ground, so blinding, blazing light, which you can um, just you know kind of import from the Old Testament. This is the Shekinah glory of God, okay? And so this Shekinah glory of God sh- shines all around him. He falls to his knees, fairly normal response when you encounter God in the Bible, and uh, and he's instantly blinded, apparently. And so they have this very brief interaction, who are you? And and when he says, who are you, Lord, he's really, he's not using Lord in the sense you and I would use it. He's using it in the sense of, who are you, good sir? Right? What is this? What is, what, what is this all about? It's that, it's that initial introduction though, right? And then as Jesus responds, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now the text doesn't tell us this. But I wonder if at that moment for just maybe a second Saul kind of goes through the database of of who he, of the papers that he has and who he's looking for when he gets to Damascus and he's thinking, I don't remember seeing Jesus on any of those. Okay? Um this is his initial introduction really to the world of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, your persecution of Christians is a persecution of me. I am so connected to my people and my people are so connected to me that your persecution of them, you're tracking them down. You're coming after me. You're persecuting me. And and that's that's the first introduction here, really, right? Is, look... I am so connected to my people. My people are so connected to me. That's the church. He's talking about the church that he is in the process of building by the power of his Holy Spirit. 
And that's Paul's kind of introduction, like, hold on a second. Uh, you, you mean the, the people that I'm going after? Hold on. How, how is all that inter, how are, the, how are they you and you them? I mean, that, surely that had to have gone over and over in his head. But there is that introduction. The Christians you're persecuting are, in fact, me. They're mine. We're connected. If you harm them, you're harming me. In the South, we say it this way. Love me. Love my dog. Right? Uh, Love me. Love my church. Hate me. Hate my church. Hate my dog. You hate me. Love my dog. You love me. Okay? You see the connection? That's, that's kind of the way, uh, we think about it down, down here in the South. Uh, and that's what he's communicating to this, to Saul right out of the gate. I am connected to my people. I love them. I laid down my life for them. I've called them to myself. They are, they are in the vine, so to speak. They are connected to me. And there's another important detail uh, as all of this is happening. Um, his, we read uh, in, in verse 8 that he tells him now that he's going to go to, go to Damascus um, and that when Saul opens his eyes at that point, he's unable to see. So he has seen the Shekinah glory of God. He's blinded. When he, when he opens his eyes, his eyes are open, the text says, but he couldn't see anything. Now, that's an illustration, really. It, it's, it's bigger than just the fact that he didn't have vision. He's, he's telling us, and Luke is telling us by giving us that important detail, that he couldn't see physically, but that he had also been blind spiritually. Up to this point in Saul's life, he was unable to see and to understand and to know who God was truly. And in the person of Jesus, he wasn't able to apprehend who he was either. And so he was dead spiritually. And that that blinding him is really what that is all about in the passage. And so This is really the very heart of the story. Saul thought that he had all these years had seen the world clearly. He had been trained and educated. He he was, you know, a man who understood the world and the way the world worked. And, And he had his worship and his he was very devout and all of these things about who he was. He followed the law, knew the law. Look, he would have he would have had memorized the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible he would have known by heart. But all of that learning didn't give him a clear understanding of the world that God had created. He didn't know really who he was, and he certainly didn't know who Jesus was. And so we get this object lesson. And it has to be the Lord then that opens his eyes. 
Psalm 146.8 says, The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. I love that passage because you can almost directly apply it to the Apostle Paul's situation at this point. He's knocked to the ground. The Lord has him get up. His friends take him and they, they take him into town. And then he sends Ananias who comes and lays hands on him and gives him sight. In Luke 4.18, uh, Jesus himself read from Isaiah, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So all of this happens in this meeting. Jesus, the voice from heaven, this this uh, theophany, the Shekinah glory of God, all of that powerful enough to send Saul to his knees, the, the challenge, why are you persecuting me? And then sending him on to go and to wait for Ananias to come. Here's what I want you to think about as you think about that that change, right? Um, this passion that he has and, and this change that's going on. is Don't imagine that conversions only happen to bad people. Imagine conversions just like this one that are needed and happen to good people. Very good people. Because Paul, Saul, was a really good guy. But he also needed converting. Let's talk about this colossal change. Sends him to, to Damascus. He's there. He sends, the, the Jesus himself appears and sends Ananias to Saul. Now, you get it. He's reluctant to go. He's heard about who this Saul character is. He's thinking to himself, <laughs> Really? It actually has this interaction. Hold on. Isn't this the same guy that came here to carry folks away? And, uh, and Jesus says to him, go. When Jesus says go, I think you probably should go. Um, and so that's what happens. And he sends him to the house on Straight Street. In verse 17, it says that Ananias laid hands on Saul, and he actually refers to him as Brother Saul. Brother Saul, what a picture. I mean, here is this guy terrified to just go even be in the same room with Saul because he's heard of the stories. But the Lord tells him, no, right? Go. He is my chosen instrument. I am going to use him to turn the Gentile world upside down. Go, lay hands on him. And so when he comes into the room, I mean, can you imagine? I mean, this is a guy that 24 hours, well, not 24 hours, 72 hours ago is breathing out murderous threats against you. And now the Lord sends you to go lay hands on him to pray for him. And so when he walks in and he puts his hands on him, he refers to him as Brother Saul. That's conversion. That's a change. Not just in, in Saul's life, but in Ananias' life. And then his eyes were opened, scales fell off, and he saw. All of this just signals to us this 
change, this radical change. In verses 20 through 31, you really begin to see that change. In verse 20, it says, at once, so he spends a modicum amount of time with uh, the disciples, and then he goes straight to the synagogue, and he teaches that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 31, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. It says that when the people heard him teach, they were amazed. And I thought about that. So that word amazement, and I, and I went and, and just did a little work on that word, and it's fascinating. It only shows up one time out of the Gospels and the book of Acts, and that is in 2 Corinthians where the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.13, he says, for, we, if, if, for if we are out of our minds, it is for God. Okay, And it's that phrase, if we are out of our minds, that is the same word that's translated amazed in our passage. Almost every other time it's used, it's used of someone, of Jesus or one of the apostles doing a miracle. And when the people saw it, they were amazed. And so here they have that level of amazement. And the level of amazement is they're wild out of their minds. Okay? Now think about it. What is it that they're wild out of their minds about? They're wild out of their minds because they knew who Paul was. And now they see who he is. They're amazed at conversion. They are out of their minds asking the question, how can this be? How can this be the same person? How can this be the guy that was chasing down believers in Jesus. And now he's here telling us that Jesus is God. And that amazement is they were they were literally being driven crazy by Paul's Saul's conversion. I would ask you, you think about that. And I get it. We're talking about Saul but what is what what has happened in our lives? What what is the what is the degree to which our conversion, having gone from darkness to light, was anything approaching that kind of a radical change in our lives? What do you think happened in Paul's life to all those very important relationships he had? He he was an up and coming guy. What, what do you think happened to all those good friends, all of his buddies who were Pharisees? Keep all those relationships? No. His conversion cost him a great deal. Jesus says something very instructing uh, when, he, when he's sending Ananias to Saul in verse 16. He says, I will show him how much he will what? Suffer for my name. Paul suffered a great deal. Second Corinthians 11, he, he gives us a list. 
He says, are they Hebrews? Verse 22, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And he says, I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. That's what Paul was converted to. That's what he was brought into, right? You think sometimes we're you're under pressure or we're feeling... When Jesus called Paul to himself, he said, He will suffer for me. Jesus says, look, if they persecute you, remember, they persecuted me first. Your conversion, your change into who you are as a believer, necessarily puts you at odds with the world. Because we're not from this world. We're not of this world. We've changed and been changed. I want to close with this last little item. And it's about that name change. Jesus didn't change his name. We already covered that. In fact, Jesus addresses him here, Saul, Saul, Ananias addressed him as Saul. In Acts 13, verse 2, the Holy Spirit refers to him as Saul. In fact, after his conversion, he's referred to as Saul 11 more times. It isn't until Acts 13, 13, when Paul sets out on his first missionary journey, going to the Roman world, that he begins to be referred to as Paul. And that's significant because after his conversion and thinking about going out into the world, he begins to start using some wisdom with respect to how he's going to relate to that world, how he's going to interact with that world. And what he obviously said to himself is, (laughs) it'd probably be smarter for me to use my Latin name in this Latin-speaking arena so that I can connect with them. Paul's conversion was a a conversion both in his heart. He was changed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. And he was also changing as an individual who understood how to relate to those that he wanted to win for the Lord. And so he very smartly begins to go by the name Paul. He goes out into the world and he uses his Latin name, in order to unlock doors, in order to gain a hearing, in order to advance the kingdom of God. So that's our introduction. That's what it looks like for the Apostle Paul to see straight. And and, and I would just say as we kind of close our time that Every one of us, right? You, you hear the story, you look at the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch, now you look at the conversion of the Apostle Paul, 
Hey, this guy who had it all together and yet needed converting. And so Jesus appears supernaturally and converts him. Your conversion is no less supernatural because the eyes of your heart, at whatever point they were opened, were closed. And it takes the Spirit of God to do that work. Listen, if you're here this morning and this, you, maybe you're beating your head against the wall of late, you're asking yourself questions about who you are or what the Lord, you know, who the Lord is and, and you just don't have the answer. My encouragement to you is to cry out to Him. Ask Him to give you, right? And we pray that He would open the eyes of your heart. That's what the Apostle Paul's prayer was. And that's, that, that is our prayer as well because He is the one that does that supernatural work. If you see, if you see clearly today, it's because he did it. It's because he opened your eyes to let you see who he is and what he's done for us. Let me pray. Father, we want to thank you this morning for the story of, of Saul.